Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. This is Your Money. I'm Michelle Martin. Good morning. Asia Pacific shares are trading mixed this morning following an overnight rally on Wall Street and a move by the US Federal Reserve to tighten monetary policy. Tokyo is up 1.8%, Seoul trading higher as well, but Sydney in the red. Joining me now as we break down all the market action is Kyle Roder, joining me live from Australia, where he's an analyst with IG. Good morning, Kyle. Now, we begin this morning with the U.S. Federal Reserve, which announced plans to tighten monetary policy overnight. No surprises there, but the pace at which the Fed is taking its foot off the accelerator may come as a surprise to some. The Fed is going to cut back its bond purchases by twice as much each month uh, as previously announced, and this should impact longer-term interest rates. And for now, it's forecasting three interest rate hikes in the year ahead. So let's start with your general reaction to the Fed's new policy. Kyle, do you think they're getting it right? Well, I mean, I feel like it's sort of far bit from me to say, but I mean, I think what we do get from, from the markets is a pretty emphatic um, tick of approval from, from what we got, uh, particularly from the press conference from, from Jay Powell. Um, and that's effectively that although they're going to tighten policy and clearly, you know, three rate hikes, you know, possibly projected next year, at least based on the on the dot plots, is, is a fairly hawkish pivot from where we were only a month ago, is there's this sort of sense in the market that perhaps they're not going to slam the brakes and may remain slightly behind the curve when it comes to inflation, which is actually quite good for stocks and, and risk assets. So, you know, it really does run the risk that inflation could continue to run out of control, again, if they kind of stay slightly behind the curve when it comes to, to policy. Um, and that could be a risk going into the new year. Um, but when it comes to financial assets, more investors really like that environment. And I think you saw that in the response we saw in equities this morning and, um, you know, in the, the um, activity in bond markets in the US dollar as well. Now, many analysts think that the Fed's hands have been tied by rapidly rising prices and that Jerome Powell got it wrong when he talked about inflation being transitory earlier in this year. And we reported this week, for example, that wholesale prices rose at their fastest pace on record last month. And yet, while prices are rising, COVID-19 and Omicron are still casting a shadow over the global economy. Many workers still don't know when they're going to return to the office. Apple, for example, just extended remote work indefinitely. Now, the Fed's latest strategy indicates, though, that it thinks inflation is a bigger risk than an economic slowdown. Do you agree? Well, I think it probably is at this point in time, if you really look at the balance of things. You know, inflation's obviously at you know, 39 year highs in the United States. Um, the labour market is looking reasonably strong, and we don't have a great deal of clarity around what Omicron actually means for economic activity going forward. So, we've, you know, the, the information that we know at the moment, you know, clearly inflation is sort of the, the flashing red signal um, that uh, is presented to the Fed. But, I mean, I think to be fair to them, they did acknowledge that Omicron is a, a risk to the outlook and that they'll monitor it carefully. And they really have sort of pivoted and, and expressed this sort of flexibility as it relates to inflation going forward. So, you know, there, there really has been this kind of nuanced approach taken from the Fed, although they have obviously had to admit that their inflation call was, you know, really quite wrong to begin mm. with. So, I mean, that's how they're balancing the risks at the moment. And they took a fairly moderate approach. And, you know, I think that's what, you know, something the market really liked to hear from the Fed, or, you know, did like um, hearing from the Fed this morning. Let's talk about Marcus' reaction to the Fed's moves a little closer. Now, generally speaking, any talk of interest rate hikes trigger a sell-off in stocks. And historically speaking, any talk about tapering bond purchases 
seems to spur selling as well. You only have to think back to the taper tantrum of 2013 when the Dow dropped 5%. Overnight, though, Nasdaq jumped more than 2%. The Dow and the S&P 500 both closed up more than 1%. Why do you think the market has reacted the way it did? Why do we see buying and not selling? Well, that's kind of got me head, uh, scratching my head a little bit this morning too because if you actually look at the intraday price action is that when the decision was actually released, we did see some weakness coming through the stock market and we did see the yield curve actually flatten quite considerably which you know immediately suggested to me that there was concerns about the Fed being much more aggressive uh, with rate hikes and that that could potentially slow down the economy going forward and there was this kind of slight risk off tone to things. But something happened during the press conference and I can't again put my finger on it uh, exactly as to, mm. to where the reaction was where we started to see the yield curve steepen again and we saw that risk on rally, which again, like I said off the top, seems to suggest to me that the markets are thinking that based on what was sort of qualified in the press conference there from, from Powell, that they'll remain slightly behind the curve when it comes to inflation. And on top of that too, there is that element of, you know, that uncertainty being priced out of the market. So implied volatility drops and, you know, stocks like that certainty when they have sort of no known information or, or however you want to rephrase it. But for me, that was a key takeaway. There was something in the press conference there that the markets took away from it um, that that made them think that they sort of stay behind the, the curve a little bit when it comes to inflation and they won't slam the brakes on the economy to get inflation under control. And that seems to be the general gist as to why equities rallied into the back end of the session. Got it. How did the Fed's plans, Kyle, to taper off bond purchases and most likely raise rates three times next year, how do these plans affect your investment strategies? Well, I think it depends on when you're sort of looking short-term or long-term. You know, in the short-term, we could continue to see this melt-up situation where equities continue to really rally because the policy in real terms is, is very accommodative. Uh, but the problem is, and I think this is what markets pricing in at the moment, is that if you look, say, longer-term, and we're talking maybe a year to two years now, is that there's that you know, real sense that we could go from this sort of boom-to-bust economy, especially as inflation you know, sort of runs reasonably hot and the Fed has to take you know, increased measures to, to bring it down. So you know, in the short-term, look, looks like we have a bit of extra scope for, for equities and other risk assets to move higher. Um, but it does seem to me that there are some concerns about the outlook going forward beyond that, um, that we could be seeing some more recessionary conditions emerge after next year. And then obviously, you know, for investors with that longer term time horizon, you sort of have to judge how you want to be allocated to the market over the next 12 months if on the belief that, you know, we could see something of a pullback when growth slows down, you know, beyond next year. So those are sort of the balance of risks and, and the sort of timelines I think we're looking at now. I think that'll be kind of, you know, considering we're looking towards 2022, one of the key themes that will continue to emerge as we roll through that year. If I could put you on the spot, Kyle, the Dow is currently trading a bit shy of 36,000. Where do you think it could be a year from now? Uh, good question. I mean, it's going to be really hard to replicate the kind of returns that we've seen over the last two years. I mean, we're going to see, say in the S&P 500, just because it's fresh in my head uh, at the moment, you know, mm-hmm. 27% uh, rise for, for the year. It'd be very difficult to back that up where valuations are now. Um, but again, like I said, you know, if we're still seeing on balance policy being accommodative, it's less accommodative, but still accommodative because they're still putting liquidity into the system and they haven't raised rates yet. And they could be behind what is effectively the neutral rate in the market. You know, they could continue to spur momentum higher. I mean, I don't set target levels myself. It's, it's not what I do. But, mm-hmm. you know, you certainly think the risk is skewed to the upside while those, those circumstances um, remain in place. And considering we've got a couple of months now until the next Fed meeting and the next batch of data, there's that sort of vacuum there now where, where risk can be on and we can 
continue to see, you know, you know, stocks continue to push to, to more record highs, at least in the short term. The Fed is not the only central bank weighing in on monetary policy this week. The Bank of England meets tonight. Central banks in Indonesia and the Philippines are also reassessing their policies. Kyle, does the tightening by the Fed put pressure on central banks in Europe and here in Asia-Pacific to raise rates as well? Yeah, and I think it's kind of a follow-the-leader situation that we're seeing in um, markets right now as it, uh, as it applies to other G10 central banks and even emerging markets too, which, you know, we've seen um, some, some notable emerging markets, central banks raising rates quite aggressively recently, uh, you know, to curb these inflationary pressures and what have you. So take it just as a, a little example, right, the RBA, where, you know, obviously I'm, I'm leading in and followed most closely. Markets are pricing three or four rate hikes next year from the RBA, and a lot of that seems to be just, you know, so that the central bank can keep pace with what the Fed's doing. You look at Bank of England, and before this Omicron outbreak, you know, it was basically a shoo-in that the, the Bank of England would have hiked at the, the meeting that we're getting today. A little less certain now, but still the market's pricing in that they'll, they'll go in that direction. So like anything with, with global monetary policy, it's always follow the leader. You know, when after the pandemic, mm-hmm. it was a race to the bottom mm-hmm. uh, to loosen policy. Now we're the other way around and everyone's sort of having to follow each other to, to tighten policy and keep um, keep the market stable and obviously, you know, currency markets you know, stable and what have you too. Kyle Rod is my guest, joining us live from Australia. He's an analyst with IG. Kyle, let's turn to China now, where a company called the Shimao Group has suddenly rocketed to the top of the investor anxiety charts. Shimao was long considered to be one of the healthier Chinese property companies, at least in terms of its balance sheet. But this past week, there are reports that Shimao is having trouble paying its debts. The company's bonds tumbled from trading at 90 cents on the dollar to just 59 cents yesterday. And some analysts say a Shimao crash would be far worse than Evergrande, which has so far dominated headlines. What do you think? Well, it's kind of like what you just said. It's a, it's a company that it's a few weeks ago, you know, many people, including myself, weren't following and didn't have a great, um, I suppose, background in. But I think the issue here is that market participants are constantly looking for a canary in the coal mine when it comes to China that indicates that maybe some of the stresses that we're seeing and has been expressed through the Evergrande situation are a little bit more severe than, than what's you know, been sort of, I guess, discounted uh, in asset prices, you know, more broadly in financial markets, and maybe systemic risks are, are, are higher than we're currently anticipating. Right now, it would seem that, you know, investors are reasonably confident in authorities' ability to control this situation, and there's not the overarching concern that we'll see a collapse that could spread through the financial system um, and be, you know, quote-unquote, some sort of Lehman Brothers moment. Um, but this, this is a kind of a signal that perhaps the issues in China's property market, the deleveraging process, and some stability risk in the financial system are a little bit more endemic and entrenched than previously thought. And it's just a, a sort of a worrying, I suppose, indicator of, of the future, um, especially as China's policymakers start to sort of change their focus about the way they um, manage their economy and, and the, the property market going into next year. So, again, it's been treated as a bit of a canary in the coal mine and, and one that's sort of you know, something to watch as a potential indicator of, of other things to come. Yeah, speaking of indicators, Bloomberg is running a story this morning that the consensus forecast for economic growth in China next year is 5%. That's better than now, but certainly a lot less than pre-pandemic growth rates that we've become accustomed to seeing in China. So what is your views on China's economy for the year ahead? Well, I think things are looking really constructive at the moment because we're getting those signals from policymakers and you know, already we've had the PBOC easing policy effectively that you know the priorities for bureaucrats and, and again, the central government there is moving away from you know social issues, financial stability issues, 
into now economic issues and that's refocusing on, on growth going forward. And of course, 5% by China standards, historically speaking, isn't particularly high. You know, pre-pandemic growth rates, uh, the target growth rate from uh, the CCP was much closer to, to 6%. Um, so it's certainly a level of growth that's you know not going to be as high as in the past. But, you know, investors are reasonably sanguine, I think, on, on China's economy and, you know, fairly realistic on top of that as well that, you know, clearly those growth rates of the past can't be duplicated. And considering we've come off such a low base this year where economic activity has diminished so considerably, there's been so many headwinds to growth in China and that's been a drag on the rest of the world's economy too. But anything that sees growth pick up at the margins and uh, that sees policymakers return focus to economic activity as a a priority is very, very positive. So I think it suggests that maybe we've seen the worst for now um, in terms of Chinese markets and Chinese assets. And especially when you look at the PBOC, who would be looking to pump liquidity into the financial system again, typically always really well for financial assets, which very much um, trade on momentum in China and mm. you know, the weight of liquidity behind it. So things are looking cautiously optimistic at the moment, and I think we're starting to see that reflected in price action across um, Chinese assets. All right, so we take that view, Kyle, and turn to China's stocks. Are you then uh, bullish on the market for 2022? I'd like to kind of buy into it to the news as we see it come. Um, you know, there's, there's several ways you could play this. And, you know, for a long-term investor, I think the prospects for China are still being very good, despite the fact that we've seen so much weakness through their market mm. uh, throughout this year. But, you know, if you're looking at more sort of cyclical trends and, and um, you know, um, a, a more of a short-term player in the market, mm-hmm. is that when we do get these news releases, you know, from the PBOC that, that are trying to, to ease policy, um, you know, from the central government that, that's suggesting that they're going to increase fiscal spending in the, in the new year, it's the kind of environment we start buying into those news and reallocating yourself potentially to stocks in China, as well as broader Asia too, which underperformed for most of this year. And if you look on a valuations basis, you know, clearly in a world of very, very high valuations, relatively speaking, Asian assets look, you know, a lot more attractive. So again, when this news comes through, it's, it's, it's a really good buying opportunity, especially as, you know, we get some of that, um, you know, further clarity about how policymakers want to, to guide our economy going into this next cycle for, for China. Let's turn to Singapore now, where the government here has announced new measures to cool the housing market. Second home buyers and foreigners will have to pay higher additional stamp duties. The government is also planning to increase the supply of public and private housing. This comes on the back of a 9% rise in housing prices over the past year. These curbs are coming at the same time that we're expecting interest rate hikes next year. More on the possible impact on the uh, property market here in Singapore through Throughout our show today, this is your money. I'm Michelle Martin speaking to Kyle Roda. If we turn to the markets now, the STI finished moderately lower yesterday, dropping 0.2% to 31.14. Kyle, the STI posted some strong gains in the first quarter of the year, but since then has been pretty much stuck, trading in a tight range of about 200 points. 30.40 has been about the base, 32.70 the peak. So how's it going to take, what's it going to take rather, for Singapore stocks to break out of this? And do you think we might see more bullish sentiment in the first quarter of 2022, comparable to what we saw at the beginning of this past year? Yeah, well, I suppose to almost go a little bit broader out and and touch back on the question earlier was that, you know, it's very much a China story and it has been for broader Asian equities this year. And, Mm. you know, if you sort of draw the parallel to the ASX, which I probably follow a little bit more closely just because it's my home market, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have seen the, the sort of dynamic this year where the first six months of the year were, were quite good as that Chinese growth story continued to play out and then things dropped quite precipitously or you know basically flatlined for the rest of the year really on the basis that 
um, we saw that weakness in China um, manifesting in, in obviously growth expectations and, and asset prices as well. So I think when it applies to Asian equities, and I think this applies to Singapore equities as well, is that as we get this kind of greater pickup in Chinese economic activity uh, and that kind of rising tide, so to speak, that is driven by China's policymakers lifting all boats in the region, things are looking much more positive, especially as I think investors look for assets outside of overvalued developed market stocks or at least European and US stocks. So I think things are looking reasonably constructive from a technical point of view. Like you said, things have basically been consolidating for a while. But if we continue to see positive signals about the Chinese growth outlook, I think all the, the economies at the Asian periphery, again, like Singapore, like Australia and what have you, will see a stock market environment that's much more positive than what we got in the last six months of this year. All right, before we let you go, a quick look uh, at your market outlook for the year ahead. If we turn to currencies, uh, Kaya, which currency would you put your money on now if you take a 12-month horizon? 12-month rise in the US dollar um, with a caveat that I think after last night's Fed meeting, we've got a couple of months potentially of you know risk on in the currency markets. We could see something of a retracement in your, in your growth proxies. But I think as we move forward and it's clear that the Fed um, is the kind of leader of the pack when it comes to tightening across the globe or at least across the G10 space, the dollar will continue to outperform. That will probably come at the, the expense most of the euro and you know obviously as well those kind of growth-sensitive currencies possibly uh, too. So um, the, the dollar looks very bullish. I think that'll lead the way in the G10 space for the most part of 2020. Mm-hmm. Although with a caveat that in the short term, there's a little bit of room for the upside because of this risk on move that we're seeing in markets post-Fed this morning. Got it. I saw an article, Kyle, asking whether US REITs will beat the S&P 500 next year. What do you think? Well, my first gut instinct is to suggest that probably not, just on the basis that we'll probably start to see um, a property start to slow down as an asset class, uh, especially as mortgage-backed securities um, to purchases of which are pulled out of the market and we start to see interest rate rises. Um, so that sort of defensive play mightn't be as appealing. But, um, you know, I didn't quite see the articles and there might be a strong argument there for why that, why I'm entirely wrong. <laughs> but to me, it would seem in a, in a, rise, in a rising, inter- rising interest rate environment, um, you know, perhaps REITs wouldn't be the, the place to park your money as a, um, you know, yield-sensitive sector of the, of the, the stock market. Time to say thank you very much. Carl Roder joining us live from Australia. He's an analyst with IG. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.